Oh, we're continuing our series that we're, we're looking at, how to be certain in uncertain times. I, I, I want to suggest something to you this morning, that Christianity is not a way of looking at certain things. Christianity is not a way of looking or thinking about marriage. It's not a way of, of looking at finances. It's not a way of looking at the way we look at relationships, but rather Christianity is a certain way of looking at all things. It's not that we look at things a certain way. It's a certain way of looking at all things. And when we understand the difference, when we understand that it's a certain way of looking at all things, then things start to come into perspective. I want to suggest to you that God has already done enough to prove his goodness to us. He's already done enough to prove his goodness to us. But, but, but for some reason, and I don't know if I'm like, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about me for some reason, though God has already done enough to prove his goodness time and time and time and time and time again to me. When I get into a rough spot, when I get into a tough spot, when I get into some times of peril and problems, for some reason, I start to doubt his goodness. I don't know if you're, if any of you are like me, but that's, yeah. that's how I'm wired. Now, my Bible might not be as big as yours, so you might, not be, you might be a little bit more spiritual than I am, but that's how I'm put together, it seems. Problems and pain have a very unique way to cause us to doubt God's faithfulness, to cause us to question his goodness, to cause us to call into question who he is. And if he's really going to continue to be good, See, uh, what happens with me is this, that, that when I'm in one of those spots in life, when I'm in one of those seasons in life, if God doesn't move quickly, I believe he'll move. But if he doesn't move quickly enough, I start thinking maybe he won't. You ever been there? And it's interesting. I'm the arbiter. I'm the one who decides if quickly enough is quickly enough. And if it doesn't happen to my timetable or what I've become accustomed to, then I start to wonder if he will. Though he's done enough time and time again to prove his goodness, problems, pain, peril makes me question. See, it wouldn't be so bad. Problems and difficulty and uncertainty wouldn't be so bad if they came and went quickly. Like we can handle anything for a day. I can handle anything for a couple days. If, if I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, if I know it's going to be over somewhat, so I can ha- I'll make it through it. Right. But when days turn into years and years turn into the unknown and then there's certainty, what it creates is this level of anxiety because we just don't know. Have you ever been in that place of life, that season, when you just had to sit back and wonder, God, what is your plan for me in this? I I just don't see, like, what is your plan? For me in the midst of my problem? What's your plan for me in the midst of my peril? What's your plan for me in the midst of the uncertainty? I just don't see it. If you've ever wondered that, you're in a good spot. Because all throughout the biblical record, we see people who have trusted God, who God has been faithful to, who then got into some problems and peril and perplexities, and then wondered if God was still good. 
And they wondered oftentimes in the middle of those moments, God, what are you doing? What's your point? And what do you want from me? So if you've ever been in that moment or if you are in that moment, you're in a good spot. And I want you to turn with me to look at what God said to his people more than 2,500 years ago because it's still relevant. And he still wants to speak to us his words that he spoke to them. So if you, if, if you actually have, have a Bible that you brought with you, which y'all need to start bringing these things. And I mean, I mean it, it's on here and that's good, but there's something unique about actually bringing this. And so, but, but either way, turn to, turn to Jeremiah 29. Just turn to Jeremiah 29. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and while you put your finger in Jeremiah 29, let me suggest to you this. That to truly understand the Bible, we have to understand the historicity in which it was, in which it lived. To really understand, we got to understand the context and the culture from which it was birthed. And some have suggested that there are three main movements in Scripture that God continues to highlight and bring people back to in memory, that both point toward and bring people back to in memory. That can, he continues to speak to us about who he is, who he was, and who he will be. And those three movements that we have to understand, that all of Scripture kind of hinges around and, and, is, and is built around to reveal who God is, who he was, and who he will be, one of those is the death and resurrection of Jesus. If we don't understand the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we will miss the point of Scripture. If we don't understand that Jesus, that Jesus lived a sinless life because he was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross as a substitute for our sins, that he was buried in the grave and died and rose three days later, we will miss everything that the prophets look forward to, everything that Jesus lived to show us while he was, and everything that everyone since the resurrection looked back to. We'll miss it. It's the first movement that we have to understand. The second one is this. And it's something that God keeps bringing his people back to remember time and time and time again. And that's the exodus from Egypt. God continues to bring his people back to the recollection and the memory of what it was to be slaves and then to be set freed. He continues to bring people back to the memory of what it was to be in bondage and then to experience by the mighty hand of God a move, from, uh, a move within politics and leaders to set his people free, to get them into the land that he had promised them. He continues to bring them back to remind them that though I led you to the sea where you couldn't see a way, I continue to prove myself that I am the God who could do anything but fail. And the third movement that all of Scripture, that it kind of brings his people back to to remind us who he has been, who he is, and who he will be, is the Babylonian captivity. See, in 597, this was, a, this was, a, this was an, an incredible move of God's hand that seemed perilous at the time, and it was. But in 597 B.C., under the leadership of, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, that was the world power, See, prior to this Babylonian captivity, there was the Assyrian nation, and the Assyrians moved down into the land of Israel, and they took what we call the 10 northern tribes of Israel and, and kind of banished them out of the land. And then later in 597, the Babylonian nation came down under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar through what was Assyria down into what was left of Israel. And they took captive thousands of those who remained for the last two tribes of Israel. And they took them as captives and slaves back to Babylon. And it's interesting. 
that in 597, Israel lost sovereign control of the land that God had promised them. And they lived in exile, basically, without sovereign control of their land until 1948, where they regained once again the sovereign control of the land that God had given them. They went from 597 BC to 1948, being displaced from sovereign control of their own land. Now they're back. And the Bible says, those who bless you, I will bless and Those who curse you, I will curse. God has his hand and his promise on his people. But it was during this Babylonian captivity under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar that Jerusalem was basically destroyed and laid waste. And thousands and thousands of Jews were taken captive back to Babylon to serve that nation and to serve that government. And what the Babylonians did was take the best of the best back and all the human resources that could then repair and renew what was left of Jerusalem was exiled. And while in exile... Babylon did everything they could do to rob them of their identity, to rob them of the knowledge of their homeland, to rob them of their own names that represented their God of Jeru that, that they held in Jerusalem, to rob them of their spiritual forms of worship, to rob them of their diets, to rob them of their everything. And while they were in Babylon, they had very little contact from the people who were back in Jerusalem. They had very, very little contact and communication with family and friends. Very little contact with, what, with, with those that remained. And they found themselves as a foreign people in a foreign land, not there under their own volition, not there under their own choice. Everything that had been certain was now uncertain. Everything that had been sure was now called into question, was now in turmoil. And they lived in a hostile territory amongst people they didn't like and amongst people that did not like them. And on occasion, they would receive word from the prophets of God, trying to give them hope. If you've ever been in a land, if you've ever been in a situation, if you've ever been in a time where you are now find yourself as an exile, where you used to be certain of things and now you are unsure, when things used to be steady and now they're shaking up, all you want is some hope that it's going to get better, that it's going to come to an end, that you're going to get back to what it used to be, right? And so occasionally the prophets of God would try to give words of hope to those in exile. One of them, his name was Hananiah. And in an effort to give hope to the people in exile, he came to them and he said, look, don't worry, you can do this. It's only going to be two years. In two years, you're going to be back home. It's all going to get better. The problem was it wasn't. And there were actually three prophets of God who tried to speak the words of God, though not knowing God's words, who tried to give the exiles hope, but they were without truth. And, and, and I understand as a leader, I understand people, you don't want to create a panic, and, and, and maybe so that you don't create a, pa a panic in the midst of a pandemic, you don't share with them the truth, and maybe to keep the stock market high, you just, you just don't say the whole thing. And that might be okay as a political strategy. It's not okay when you say that your words come from yeah, God's mouth. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. And so... Jeremiah, into this environment, sends a letter. Knowing what they had been told, and his letter says this, don't listen to those guys. Don't listen to them. Because it's going to be a lot worse than what you've heard. It won't be two years. Oh, no. It won't be two years. It's going to be 70 years. 
It's going to be 70 years. Now imagine for a moment, and maybe you've been there, I don't know, but have you ever been, imagine being in that place of sadness, imagine being in that place of brokenness, imagine being in that place of turmoil, imagine being in that place of fear, imagine being in that place of anxiety, imagine being in that place of uncertainty, and all you want to know is when it's going to be over. And initially you hear it's going to be relatively quickly, pretty soon God's going to rescue, and then you get word that, oh no. It is going to be exponentially longer. 70 years, that's almost two full biblical generations. This is going to last a while. Do you know what it's like to be in a season that you hope and pray will pass soon, only to find out it's going to be around for a while? Do you know what it's like? To find out that the change that you're waiting for and counting on God for is not going to happen because you went to church on Sunday? Do you know what it's like to have that moment and season in your life when you realize it's not going to pass because you said a prayer? Do you know what it's like when you finally realize that the season, situation, and turmoil that you're in is going to last a long time? See, life has a way of putting us in exile. Life has a way of forcing us into places we did not see ourselves living and in places we did not perceive ourselves being. And the only thing we want to know in moments like this, what do you want from me? What do you want? What am I supposed to do now? When God seems to take his sweet time on acting on your behalf, Our hearts want to say, what are you doing? Why? And what do you want? Because if I know what you're doing and I know why, it'll help me a little bit. But I'll be okay if you tell me what you want. Because if I can just do what you want, maybe you'll get me out. And so God gives us instruction. Jeremiah 29. His people were in one of those places. They could not have imagined themselves being in Babylon. They could not have foreseen being captives, slaves, working for the benefit of others. They they couldn't imagine being separated from their family. They couldn't imagine how everything had fallen apart all of a sudden. And so God gives them instruction. He says, this is what I want from you. Do you want to know what he said? I think these words still ring true for us. Here's what he said. Let me, let me just read to you. Let me just read to you this passage. See if you can pick out as we go through this what God wants. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for the Lord. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying 
lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I had carried you into exile. God tells us three things when we're in those places of exile, three things when we're in those places of problems and peril. And the first thing God says to us is this, his plan for you is to be productive in the midst of your predicament. He says, get productive. You're going to be here a while. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have babies, get those kids married and kicked out the house. And so they'll have some babies. So you can be granddaddies and grandmommies. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. He said, you're going to be here a long time. And what you need to know is you might be in one of these places in life. In exile and peril and pain, the season you did not want to be in. And God might be telling you, settle down, you're going to be here a while. This isn't going to pass quickly. Build houses and move in. Settle down and build some equity here. Plant gardens and eat its own food. Marry and have babies, get your kids. You're going to be here a while. The command of God, when we're in these types of places, get this, increase, don't decrease. Now, 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 now what? Oftentimes God will, he'll, he'll affirm that we're in places that we didn't plan to be. He says, I know you didn't plan to be here. I know you didn't see this coming. I know you didn't think this was going to be your reality. I know you were not prepared for this. I understand that. But the danger of us in being in these types of times, because can, can we all admit that, that these times are more often in life than not? Here's the danger is that when we're in these times, we start to pout, right? We start to worry. We're filled with stress. Now, let me just tell you, I am a professional powder. No, I can pout with the best of them. I'm a grown man, but I can pout like the little boy I was when I learned how to pout. I learned how to pout when I was a little boy, and I have perfected it in my old age. You know when I'm upset. You know when things haven't gone well. I wear my heart on my sleeve and my emotions on my face. I can slam doors with the best of them, and I can quiet up with the best of them. I know how to pout. And this is the danger when we get in these types of of places. It's okay to be concerned. It's not okay to worry. And concern turns to worry when it keeps you up at night. When you lay your head on a soft pillow, a cool room, a heavy blanket, and you can't sleep. You know that worry has turned to anxiety when the first thing you think of when you wake up is the peril and the predicament that you're still stuck in. And it absorbs every inch of your emotional energy. You know what these times are like. And all we want is things to be different right now. Most people in these moments, see if this isn't true, begin a slow process of shrinking away and disappearing in their own problem. 
They begin the slow process of withdrawing from life. They begin the slow process of retreat from those things that create energy and those things that are based on plans of a hope for future. They withdraw from those things that would actually create increase and we just step back into the shadows. Because the problem, the peril seems too large. And God's command to us in these times is to make investments in your own increase. Don't shrink back and shrivel up. He says, even in moments of captivity and peril, thrive, be productive in the midst of your problem. Take ownership of your life and responsibility for your future. Don't languish and fail to thrive. So many of us, when we're in these moments, just simply throw up our hands as a victim and say, the moment is bigger than myself, and the problem is bigger than my potential, and I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know what to do in the midst of it, and so I'm just going to do nothing and hope it gets better. And God says, don't go down that road, because that road is a road that leads you to death. When we do our mission trips in Mexico every day, we start with Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. It doesn't matter the issue. It doesn't matter the scenario. It doesn't matter the predicament. It doesn't matter the problem. There are some things I can control. And what I learned from the Bible is this, to create positive momentum in the things that I can control. And what I can control, even in captivity, is my attitude and my effort. You understand? Here's what I know about God's people, not because of who we are, but because if I have a relationship with Jesus, now I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And because I am a child of God and a co-heir with Christ, God's people don't need handouts or hand ups. God's people have the ability because of the resonant Holy Spirit within them to rise above circumstances and thrive even in the worst of predicaments. And this is what God says. God's command is to be productive. Some of you are in a really, really, really tough spot right now. You're in peril. You're in a place you did not see yourself being. And your temptation is to say, God, I can't do nothing. I'm powerless. Please, you have to step in. And God says, oh, no, I do have the power and I may step in, but you have to move on your own investment first. Take control over what you can control. Let me control what you cannot control. But there are things you can control. Start making some investments. Do you understand? You want to know the second thing he says? Mm -hmm. Second thing he says is this. God has a plan in these moments, and God's plan is for you to pray for your persecutors. That's God's plan. How many even want another plan? On a different plan? Like maybe he was being extra gracious that day. Like he doesn't expect that really of everybody, right? <laughs> you look at it, I think God done lost his mind. <laughs> like, well, Jesus could do that because he's Jesus, but I ain't Jesus. And so, oh gosh, this is the where the Bible gets hard, man. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, mm -hmm. you're going to prosper. Mm -hmm. 
He says, don't waste your adversity and let it turn to bitterness towards those who have persecuted you. See, some, some problems we create for ourselves, but other problems and perils come from outside of us because other people are idiots sometimes, right? I mean, we're never the idiot. God says, I want you to do two things. I want you to seek two things. Peace and prosperity, not for you. Go on now, think in your head, who is that person? Who are those people? Right? What have your prayers been towards them? Oh, good Lord Jesus, just convict them. Let the Holy Spirit show them how bad they are. And oh, or maybe you get real humble. Oh, Lord, would you please just, would you please just, um, just let them know that they're just mean. Do you know what I'm saying? Why does God say pray for those who persecute you? Peace and prosperity. Why? Because when they prosper, you'll prosper. Now, this is a hard teaching for most people to hear, and it's even more difficult to put into practice because many of us do not want to repay meanness with kindness, right? Most people don't want to turn the other cheek. Like, I might do that twice, but after the second time, I ain't got no more cheek to turn. I'm going to start swinging back. I mean, most people find it difficult to give gentle words when harsh words have been given to us. Most people find it very difficult to seek forgiveness when they don't think they've done anything wrong. Most people think it's very, it's very difficult for me to pray for your peace and prosperity when you've been so bad to me. But this is God's command for God's people. If you don't want to be God's people, you don't got to do this. But if you want to be God's people, this is one of the things we've got to do. You understand? See, God knows what we don't fully understand. That when other people harm us, it's usually because they are badly hurt somewhere in their own life. And they react out of one of two ways. One, they're so hurt that they just lash out at others, or they're so insecure they can't admit their own error and fault and seek peace with people. And the truth is, and I say this all the time, hurting people hurt people. It's just what we do. And God understands. I want you to understand them. And I want you to react differently than others react. Don't respond in kind. Give peace where there's conflict because behind their conflict is hurt. And what heals is not more conflict. The Bible says that Jesus reconciled the world to himself through his death. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And it cost Jesus his life on the cross. It hadn't cost us nearly that much. And so parents, pay attention to me. This is crucial. Because the Bible says, parents, train up your child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. So I need to ask parents, how do our kids learn to be peacemakers when all they've seen us do is respond defensively? How do our children learn to be forgivers of those who have made offenses towards us when all they've seen us do is make excuses? How do our kids learn to give grace when all they've seen us do is attack those who attack us? Now, think about a generation out. 
Think about the marriages that are created then by kids who have never learned to be peacemakers. Think about the marriages that are created now by people who have never learned to say, please forgive me. Think about the marriages that are created now by people who have never learned to give grace because they've not seen mom and dad do it consistently. Think about that, parents. This Bible thing's tough. So in essence, what God is saying is this. Whatever good you want in your life, pray for that in your adversary's life. You see that? Whatever good you want in your life, make that your daily prayer for your adversary, for your persecutors, for those who have you captive, for those who have taken you as slaves. To an emotional bondage, a relational bondage that you cannot break out of. Pray for them every day what you wish for yourself. Here's the truth, and this is the hard truth, as if this before it wasn't. We may be, you may be in trouble and predicaments and trials and persecutions because God has allowed those things and those people in your life to develop his character in you. We don't develop the character of Christ by living in ease when everybody loves us because that's not the Bible said. Jesus says, as the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. And so God allows these times of peril and predicaments and problems and issues and pains oftentimes to develop his character in us. They might be sent to you by God. We get in these times and all we pray is that God will get us out of them, that he'll remove them, that he'll change them. And maybe God said, no, 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 no. Y'all need to be there for about 70 years because that's how long it's going to take to build my character in you. Notice what the Bible says in verse 20. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. All you exiles, whom what? Who sent you away? God says, I have sent you away. This exile did not come at the hands of the Babylonians, though they thought it did. This exile did not come at the hands of the Hebrews, though they wished that it, you know, they could have done something to prevent it. It came at God's hands. I did this, God says. You want to know the third thing? We want me to get off the second thing? <laughs> God's plan for you is to protect yourself from the words of false prophets. God's word for you is to protect yourself from the words of false prophets. Let me see, show you what I mean. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. There was a prophet in Jerusalem named Hananiah and there were two in Babylon named Ahab and Zedekiah and they were false, not because they were evil. They were false simply because they didn't speak God. God's words to his people. They spoke their words. In this context, it doesn't mean that they were necessarily evil people. It just simply means that they didn't speak God's words. They spoke things contrary to God's word and his standard. See, to have false prophets in your life, they might not be terrible people. They're just people who speak falsely. And God's instruction is to protect yourself from them and their words. They're false because they haven't spoken first to God about the issue. They're false not because they've spoken, or they're false because they've spoken their words and not God's words. And I started thinking, why is it that so many of us believe false words from false prophets? Why is it? 
And, and, I, and I came up with this. This is why I think. Because we haven't heard God's word enough to know the difference. Here's the problem that I see. More and more and more, we get the word speaking to our lives from this. And this is not God's words. And the more and more and more and more and more we get these words from this device speaking into our minds, the less and less and less we hear God's words from his word. And the less we hear God's words from his words, the more we fall victim to the false words of false prophets. Do you understand? I'm not anti-technology. I think a horse and buggy are fantastic. I'm just saying. (laughs) See, a person can only speak God's words when they spend enough time with him about the matter of which they speak. Let let, let me just, I need to drive this home a little bit because I want us to understand that God's words don't come through social media activity and God's words don't come through words of fear and intimidation and God's words don't come through messages you send but don't speak face to face and God's words don't come through screens of anonymity and God's words don't come as vulgar words, as mean words, as hurtful words, as abusive words. God's words don't come through retribution and God's words don't come through revenge. God's words don't come through I did it because they did and God's words don't come through well an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth God's words are seasoned with salt so that it may edify God's words are to restore gently God's words are to give forgiveness and seek the peace and welfare of those who harm you so guard yourself against the false prophets and their false words So why does God say, be productive during this time of difficulty? Why does he say, pray for those who are doing you harm? Why does he say, protect yourself from the false words of false prophets? Because he got something good planned for those who do. And this is the verse that most good church folk use at their weddings. Not understanding what has come before. They just like this verse. And that's one reason it's so important to understand the context of the scripture from which it was birthed. Because if you don't, you take out one verse and say, that's what I want. That's what I'll claim. And that's what I'll say is for me. But we have to understand the context. So after you know the context, then God says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, because there's 70 of them that are going to be bad. Settle in, get ready for it. But I do like the fact that he says when they are completed. One of my favorite phrases in all of scripture is it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It didn't come for eternity. It came to pass. And these times will pass. And when they are past, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Why does God give us the instructions he gives us? Because he has a plan for us. And he knows of which he speaks. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I haven't forgotten my plans. I know them. I haven't neglected my plans for you. I know them. And I got plans. I got blueprints. I got the schematics. I got the strategy. It's all orchestrated. There are plans to prosper you not to harm you. Their plans to give you hope, not despair. Their plans for a future, not destruction. And if that's the land in which we want to live, 
There's pretext that goes before it. One of the things I love about God is he is the God of restoration. And he is the God of renewal. Rick, y'all better come up. Man, come on. I'm going to keep going and I got to get done because I'm already, I, I, I spent all the time we're supposed to have together. But let me, let me just end with this. I feel like I still need to tell you this. One of the things I love about God is he is the God of restoration and renewal. And he says as much in verse 14. He says, I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. He said, you had a promise. You had the promised land. You had goodness and fortune. You lost it all, but I'm going to bring you back. He says, literally, you're going to experience a comeback. This is how he says it. I will literally restore your fortunes. You will experience a comeback with Christ. It's coming back. Now, let me just tell you this. We started watching these series on, on Netflix. So we started, we went back to the 80s when everything was good. The music was good. The rock and roll was good. The fatty foods were good. And the movies were good. And so one of my favorite series is Rocky. Love Rocky. Now that started in 76 or 77, I believe. I started way back in the day. It was fantastic. You got, what the? We were like 16 years old, then, huh? Nice. Uh, yeah. And so anyway, I loved Rocky One. I loved Rocky One, but but he lost. It was still a good flick. Rocky Two was excellent because Rocky won, right? I mean, he was victorious. Everybody loves a winner. But the best was Rocky Three, not just because of Club Elaine. My prediction. I love Clubber Lane. But not just Clubber Lane. The best thing about Rocky III is that he was a winner and then he was a loser. But he had a comeback and he was victorious. And everything that he once lost was restored. We love that story. And that's the story of the Christ follower. I was born a winner because I was made in the image of God. And he accepted me as his own. And I've experienced great loss. But if I hold on and if I do it his way and if I believe his word, a comeback is coming. Now, please understand, the comeback is not for those who are outside of his family. And though you're on this earth, you might be a creation of God. But you're not family without a relationship with him through Jesus. And for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, oh, we know. We don't hope, we know. We're not banking on, we know that for us, all these things work together for the good of those who love him or part of his family and are the called according to his purpose. So you need to understand, if you don't have a love relationship with Jesus and are the called for his purpose, you sacrifice your comeback. But for those of you who are part of his family and start to bring your life in line with his word. There might be sorrow for a night, but there's joy that's coming in the morning. 
There might be tears for a season, but they're going to turn to laughter. Not only that, but the fortunes that have been lost in the times of peril and persecution and predicaments, he says, will restore. And so God looks over you and he says this, I have proved myself over and over and over again. Have faith that in this scenario, I have a plan. Your peril, God says, cannot negate my power. Your decisions cannot cancel my plans. Your past can't derail the future that I have preordained. If you know him and are called according to his purpose, God says, I know what I'm doing. I want to invite you right now in this moment to again become part of God's family and position yourself for a comeback. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that we have never been outside your reach nor your scope. Thank you that you do have plans for us, your people, and they are good plans. They are not plans for harm or destruction. They're plans of hope for a future. God, we need to know that. And we need to experience that. And so in this moment, I would invite you to say between you and God, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I have lived outside of your standard. Please forgive me for how I have lived, believed, thought, and acted differently than your instruction in your word. Tell him, say, I want you to lead my life and I accept you as my savior because I believe that you died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. Make me, help me to become the person you created me to be, the image of you in the world. Father, there are some of us who in this moment are coming back to you as our refuge, to you as our renewal, to you as our redeemer. And we are placing ourselves squarely and fully in your hands. And we will do all we can do. God, do all you can do on our behalf and set us up for a comeback. We trust you. Help us to trust you more. We love you. Help us to love you more. We give ourselves to you. We run to you as our refuge and we trust you. Now, get us out. Bring us back and supernaturally restore the fortunes that we have sacrificed. We are yours. You are ours. And we will follow you anywhere. If it be exile, then it's exile. As long as we're with you, we're okay. We pray it be out of exile. God, but we will follow you anywhere because we trust you. Help us to trust you more. We love you. Help us to love you more. Have your way with us, Father. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. We're going to invite you to...